Section 13 of Rome. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Rome by Emil Zola, translated by Ernest Visitelli. Chapter 7, Part 1. On the following day, as Pierre, after a long ramble, once more found himself in front of the Vatican, whither a harassing attraction ever led him, he again encountered Monsignor Nanni it was a wednesday evening and the assessor of the holy office had just come from his weekly audience with the pope whom he had acquainted with the proceedings of the congregation at its meeting that morning what a fortunate chance my dear sir said he i was thinking of you would you like to see his holiness in public while you are waiting for a private audience nanny had put on his pleasant expression of smiling civility beneath which one would barely detect the faint irony of a superior man who knew everything prepared everything and could do everything why yes monseigneur pierre replied somewhat astonished by the abruptness of the offer anything of a nature to divert one's mind is welcome when one loses one's time in waiting no no you are not losing your time replied the prelate you are looking round you reflecting and enlightening yourself well this is the point you are doubtless aware that the great international pilgrimage of the peter's pence fund will arrive in rome on friday and be received on saturday by his holiness on sunday moreover the holy father will celebrate mass at the basilica well i have a few cards left and here are some very good places for both ceremonies so saying he produced an elegant little pocket-book bearing a gilt monogram and handed pierre two cards one green and the other pink if you only knew how people fight for them he resumed you remember that i told you of two french ladies who were consumed by a desire to see his holiness well i did not like to support their request for an audience in too pressing a way and they have had to content themselves with cards like these the fact is the holy father is somewhat fatigued at the present time i found him looking yellow and feverish just now but he has so much courage he nowadays only lives by force of soul then nani's smile came back with its almost imperceptible touch of derision as he resumed impatient ones ought to find a great example in him my dear son i heard that monsignor gamba del zoppo has been unable to help you but you must not be too much distressed on that account this long delay is assuredly a grace of providence in order that you may instruct yourself and come to understand certain things which you french priests do not unfortunately realize when you arrive in rome and perhaps it will prevent you from making certain mistakes come calm yourself and remember that the course of events is in the hands of god who in his sovereign wisdom fixes the hour for all things thereupon nani offered pierre his plump supple shapely hand a hand soft like a woman's but with the grasp of a vice and afterwards he climbed into his carriage which was waiting for him it so happened that the letter which pierre had received from viscount philibert de la choux was a long cry of spite and despair in connection with the great international pilgrimage of the peter's pence fund the viscount wrote from his bed to which he was confined by a very severe attack of gout and his grief at being unable to come to rome was the greater as the president of the committee who would naturally present the pilgrims to the pope happened to be the baron de fouras one of his most bitter adversaries of the old conservative catholic party Monsieur de la choux felt certain that the baron would profit by his opportunity to win the pope over to the theory of free corporations whereas he the viscount believed that the salvation of catholicism and the world could only be worked by a system in which the corporations should be closed and obligatory 
and so he urged pierre to exert himself with such cardinals as were favourable to secure an audience with the holy father whatever the obstacles and to remain in rome until he should have secured the pontiff's approbation which alone could decide the victory the letter further mentioned that the pilgrimage would be made up of a number of groups headed by bishops and other ecclesiastical dignitaries and would comprise three thousand people from france belgium spain austria and even germany two thousand of these would come from france alone an international committee had assembled in paris to organize everything and select the pilgrims which last had proved a delicate task as a representative gathering had been desired a commingling of members of the aristocracy sisterhoods of middle-class ladies and associations of the working classes among whom all social differences would be forgotten in the union of a common faith and the viscount added that the pilgrimage would bring the pope a large sum of money and had settled the date of its arrival in the eternal city in such wise that it would figure as a solemn protest of the catholic world against the festivities of september the twentieth by which the quirinal had just celebrated the anniversary of the occupation of rome the reception of the pilgrimage being fixed for noon pierre in all simplicity thought that he would be sufficiently early if he reached st peter's at eleven the function was to take place in the hall of beatifications which is a large and handsome apartment over the portico and has been arranged as a chapel since eighteen ninety one of its windows opens on to the central balcony whence the popes formerly blessed the people the city and the world to reach the apartment you pass through two other halls of audience the sala regia and sala ducale and when pierre wished to gain the place to which his green card entitled him he found both those rooms so extremely crowded that he could only elbow his way forward with the greatest difficulty for an hour already the three or four thousand people assembled there had been stifling full of growing emotion and feverishness at last the young priest managed to reach the threshold of the third hall but was so discouraged at sight of the extraordinary multitude of heads before him that he did not attempt to go any further the apartment which he could survey at a glance by rising on tiptoe appeared to him to be very rich of aspect with walls gilded and painted under a severe and lofty ceiling on a low platform where the altar usually stood facing the entry the pontifical throne had now been set a large armchair upholstered in red velvet with glittering golden back and arms whilst the hangings of the baldacchino also of red velvet fell behind and spread out on either side like a pair of huge purple wings however what more particularly interested pierre was the wildly passionate concourse of people whose hearts he could almost hear beating and whose eyes sought to beguile their feverish impatience by contemplating and adoring the empty throne as if it had been some golden monstrance which the divinity in person would soon deign to occupy that throne dazzled them disturbed them filled them all with devout rapture among the throng were workmen rigged out in their sunday best with clear childish eyes and rough ecstatic faces ladies of the upper classes wearing black as the regulations required and looking intensely pale from the sacred awe which mingled with their excessive desire and gentlemen in evening dress who appeared quite glorious inflated with the conviction that they were saving both the church and the nations one cluster of dress-coats assembled near the throne was particularly noticeable it comprised the members of the international committee headed by baron de fouras a very tall stout fair man of fifty who bestirred and exerted himself and issued orders like some commander on the morning of a decisive victory then amidst the general mass of grey neutral hue there gleamed the violet silk of some bishop's cassock 
for each pastor had desired to remain with his flock whilst members of various religious orders superiors in brown black and white habits rose up above all others with lofty bearded or shaven heads right and left drooped banners which associations and congregations had brought to present to the pope and the sea of pilgrims ever waved and surged with a growing clamour so much impatient love being exhaled by those perspiring faces burning eyes and hungry mouths that the atmosphere reeking with the odour of the throng seemed thickened and darkened all at once however pierre perceived monsignor nanni standing near the throne and beckoning him to approach and although the young priest replied by a modest gesture implying that he preferred to remain where he was the prelate insisted and even sent an usher to make way for him directly the usher had led him forward nani inquired why did you not come to take your place your card entitled you to be here on the left of the throne the truth is answered the priest i did not like to disturb so many people besides this is an undue honour for me no no i gave you that place in order that you should occupy it i want you to be in the first rank so that you may see everything of the ceremony pierre could not do otherwise than thank him then on looking round he saw that several cardinals and many other prelates were likewise waiting on either side of the throne but it was in vain that he sought cardinal bocconera who only came to st peter's and the vatican on the days when his functions required his presence there however he recognized cardinal sanguinetti who broad and sturdy and red of face was talking in a loud voice to baron de furas and nani with his obliging air stepped up again to point out two other eminences who were high and mighty personages the cardinal vicar a short fat man with a feverish countenance scorched by ambition and the cardinal secretary who was robust and bony fashioned as with a hatchet suggesting a romantic type of sicilian bandit who to other courses had preferred the discreet smiling diplomacy of the church a few steps further on and quite alone the grand penitentiary silent and seemingly suffering showed his grey lean ascetic profile noon had struck there was a false alarm a burst of emotion which swept in like a wave from the other halls but it was merely the ushers opening a passage for the cortege then all at once acclamations arose in the first hall gathered volume and drew nearer this time it was the cortege itself first came a detachment of the swiss guard in undress headed by a sergeant then a party of chair-bearers in red and next the domestic prelates including the four camerieri segreti partecipanti and finally between two rows of noble guards in semi-gala uniforms walked the holy father alone smiling a pale smile and slowly blessing the pilgrims on either hand in his wake the clamour which had risen in the other apartments swept into the hall of beatifications with the violence of delirious love and under his slender white benedictive hand all those distracted creatures fell upon both knees naught remaining but the prostration of a devout multitude overwhelmed as it were by the apparition of its god quivering carried away pierre had knelt like the others ah that omnipotence that irresistible contagion of faith of the redoubtable current from the spheres beyond increased tenfold by a scenario and a pomp of sovereign grandeur profound silence fell when leo thirteen was seated on the throne surrounded by the cardinals and his court and then the ceremony proceeded according to rite and usage first a bishop spoke kneeling and laying the homage of the faithful of all christendom at his holiness's feet the president of the committee baron de furas followed 
remaining erect whilst he read a long address in which he introduced the pilgrimage and explained its motive investing it with all the gravity of a political and religious protest this stout man had a shrill and piercing voice and his words jarred like the grating of a gimlet as he proclaimed the grief of the catholic world at the spoliation which the holy see had endured for a quarter of a century and the desire of all the nations there represented by the pilgrims to console the supreme and venerated head of the church by bringing him the offerings of rich and poor even to the mites of the humblest in order that the papacy might retain the pride of independence and be able to treat its enemies with contempt and he also spoke of france deplored her errors predicted her return to healthy traditions and gave it to be understood that she remained in spite of everything the most opulent and generous of the christian nations the donor whose gold and presents flowed into rome in a never-ending stream at last leo xiii arose to reply to the bishop and the baron his voice was full with a strong nasal twang and surprised one coming from a man so slight of build in a few sentences he expressed his gratitude saying how touched he was by the devotion of the nations to the holy see although the times might be bad the final triumph could not be delayed much longer there were evident signs that mankind was returning to faith and that iniquity would soon cease under the universal dominion of the christ as for france was she not the eldest daughter of the church and had she not given too many proofs of her affection for the holy see for the latter ever to cease loving her then raising his arm he bestowed on all the pilgrims present on the societies and enterprises they represented on their families and friends on france on all the nations of the catholic world his apostolic benediction in gratitude for the precious help which they sent him and whilst he was again seating himself applause burst forth frantic salvos of applause lasting for ten minutes and mingling with vivats and inarticulate cries a passionate tempestuous outburst which made the very building shake amidst this blast of frantic adoration pierre gazed at leo xiii now again motionless on his throne with the papal cap on his head and the red cape edged with ermine about his shoulders he retained in his long white cassock the rigid sacerdotal attitude of an idol venerated by two hundred and fifty millions of christians against the purple background of the hangings of the baldacchino between the wing-like drapery on either side enclosing as it were a brazier of glory he assumed real majesty of aspect he was no longer the feeble old man with the slow jerky walk and the slender scraggy neck of a poor ailing bird the simious ugliness of his face the largeness of his nose the long slit of his mouth the hugeness of his ears the conflicting jumble of his withered features disappeared in that waxen countenance you only distinguished the admirable dark deep eyes beaming with eternal youth with extraordinary intelligence and penetration and then there was a resolute bracing of his entire person a consciousness of the eternity which he represented a regal nobility born of the very circumstance that he was now but a mere breath a soul set in so pellucid a body of ivory that it became visible as though it were already freed from the bonds of earth and pierre realized what such a man the sovereign pontiff the king obeyed by two hundred and fifty millions of subjects must be for the devout and dolent creatures who came to adore him from so far and who fell at his feet awestruck by the splendour of the powers incarnate in him behind him amidst the purple of the hangings what a gleam was suddenly afforded of the spheres beyond what an infinite of ideality and blinding glory so many centuries of history from the apostle peter downward so much strength and genius 
so many struggles and triumphs to be summed up in one being the elect the unique the superhuman and what a miracle incessantly renewed was that of heaven deigning to descend into human flesh of the deity fixing his abode in his chosen servant whom he consecrated above and beyond all others endowing him with all power and all science what sacred perturbation what emotion fraught with distracted love might one not feel at the thought of the deity being ever there in the depths of that man's eyes speaking with his voice and emanating from his hand each time that he raised it to bless could one imagine the exorbitant absoluteness of that sovereign who was infallible who disposed of the totality of authority in this world and of salvation in the next at all events how well one understood that souls consumed by a craving for faith should fly towards him that those who at last found the certainty they had so ardently sought should seek annihilation in him the consolation of self-bestowal and disappearance within the deity himself meantime the ceremony was drawing to an end baron de fouras was now presenting the members of the committee and a few other persons of importance there was a slow procession with trembling genuflections and much greedy kissing of the papal ring and slipper then the banners were offered and pierre felt a pang on seeing that the finest and richest of them was one of lourdes an offering no doubt from the fathers of the immaculate conception on one side of the white gold broidered silk our lady of lourdes was painted while on the other appeared a portrait of leo thirteen pierre saw the pope smile at the presentment of himself and was greatly grieved thereat as though indeed his whole dream of an intellectual evangelical pope disentangled from all low superstition were crumbling away and just then his eyes met those of nani who from the outset had been watching him with the inquisitive air of a man who is making an experiment that banner is superb isn't it said nani drawing near how it must please his holiness to be so nicely painted in company with so pretty a virgin and as the young priest turning pale did not reply the prelate added with an air of devout enjoyment we are very fond of lourdes in rome that story of bernadette is so delightful however the scene which followed was so extraordinary that for a long time pierre remained overcome by it he had beheld never to be forgotten idolatry at lourdes incidents of naive faith and frantic religious passion which yet made him quiver with alarm and grief but the crowds rushing on the grotto the sick dying of divine love before the virgin's statue the multitudes delirious with the contagion of the miraculous nothing of all that gave an idea of the blast of madness which suddenly inflamed the pilgrims at the feet of the pope some bishops superiors of religious orders and other delegates of various kinds had stepped forward to deposit near the throne the offerings which they brought from the whole catholic world the universal collection of st peter's pence it was the voluntary tribute of the nations to their sovereign silver gold and banknotes in purses bags and cases ladies came and fell on their knees to offer silk and velvet arms bags which they themselves had embroidered others had caused the note cases which they tendered to be adorned with the monogram of leo thirteen in diamonds and at one moment the enthusiasm became so intense that several women stripped themselves of their adornments flung their own purses onto the platform and emptied their pockets even to the very coppers they had about them one lady tall and slender very beautiful and very dark wrenched her watch from about her neck pulled off her rings and threw everything upon the carpet had it been possible they would have torn away their flesh to pluck out their love-burnt hearts and fling them likewise to the demigod they would even have flung themselves have given themselves without reserve 
it was a rain of presence an explosion of the passion which impels one to strip oneself for the object of one's cult happy at having nothing of one's own that shall not belong to him and meantime the clamour grew vivats and shrill cries of adoration arose amidst pushing and jostling of increased violence one and all yielding to the irresistible desire to kiss the idol but a signal was given and leo thirteen made haste to quit the throne and take his place in the cortege in order to return to his apartments the swiss guards energetically thrust back the throng seeking to open a way through the three halls but at sight of his holiness's departure a lamentation arose and spread as if heaven's gates had suddenly closed again and shut out those who had not yet been able to approach what a frightful disappointment to have beheld the living manifestation of the deity and to see it disappear before gaining salvation by just touching it so terrible became the scramble so extraordinary the confusion that the swiss guards were swept away and ladies were seen to dart after the pope to drag themselves on all fours over the marble slabs and kiss his footprints and lap up the dust of his steps the tall dark lady suddenly fell at the edge of the platform raised a loud shriek and fainted and two gentlemen of the committee had to hold her so that she might not do herself an injury in the convulsions of the hysterical fit which had come upon her another a plump blonde was wildly desperately kissing one of the golden arms of the throne chair on which the old man's poor bony elbow had just rested and others on seeing her came to dispute possession seized both arms gilding and velvet and pressed their mouths to woodwork or upholstery their bodies meanwhile shaking with their sobs force had to be employed in order to drag them away when it was all over pierre went off emerging as it were from a painful dream sick at heart and with his mind revolting and again he encountered nanny's glance which never left him it was a superb ceremony was it not said the prelate it consoles one for many iniquities yes no doubt but what idolatry the young priest murmured despite himself nanny however merely smiled as if he had not heard the last word at the same moment the two french ladies whom he had provided with tickets came up to thank him and pierre was surprised to recognize the mother and daughter whom he had met at the catacombs charming bright and healthy as they were their enthusiasm was only for the spectacle they declared that they were well pleased at having seen it that it was really astonishing unique as the crowd slowly withdrew pierre all at once felt a tap on his shoulder and on turning his head perceived narcisse Abert, who also was very enthusiastic i made signs to you my dear abbe said he but you didn't see me ah how superb was the expression of that dark woman who fell rigid beside the platform with her arms outstretched she reminded me of a masterpiece of one of the primitives cimabue giotto or fra angelico and the others those who devoured the chair arms with their kisses what suavity beauty and love i never miss these ceremonies there are always some fine scenes perfect pictures in which souls reveal themselves the long stream of pilgrims slowly descended the stairs and pierre followed by nanny and narcisse who had begun to chat tried to bring the ideas which were tumultuously throbbing in his brain into something like order there was certainly grandeur and beauty in that pope who had shut himself up in his vatican and who the more he became a purely moral spiritual authority freed from all terrestrial cares had grown in the adoration and awe of mankind 
such a flight into the ideal deeply stirred pierre whose dream of rejuvenated christianity rested on the idea of the supreme head of the church exercising only a purified spiritual authority he had just seen what an increase of majesty and power was in that way gained by the supreme pontiff of the spheres beyond at whose feet the women fainted and behind whom they beheld a vision of the deity but at the same moment the pecuniary side of the question had risen before him and spoiled his joy if the enforced relinquishment of the temporal power had exalted the pope by freeing him from the worries of a petty sovereignty which was ever threatened the need of money still remained like a chain about his feet tying him to earth as he could not accept the proffered subvention of the italian government there was certainly in the peter's pence a means of placing the holy see above all material cares provided however that this peter's pence were really the catholic sou the might of each believer levied on his daily income and sent direct to rome such a voluntary tribute paid by the flock to its pastor would moreover suffice for the wants of the church if each of the two hundred and fifty million of catholics gave his or her sou every week in this wise the pope indebted to each and all of his children would be indebted to none in particular a sou was so little and so easy to give and there was also something so touching about the idea but unhappily things were not worked in that way the great majority of catholics gave nothing whatever while the rich ones sent large sums from motives of political passion and a particular objection was that the gifts were centralized in the hands of certain bishops and religious orders so that these became ostensibly the benefactors of the papacy the indispensable cashiers from whom it drew the sinews of life the lowly and humble whose mites filled the collection boxes were so to say suppressed and the pope became dependent on the intermediaries and was compelled to act cautiously with them listen to their remonstrances and even at times obey their passions lest the stream of gifts should suddenly dry up and so although he was disburdened of the dead weight of the temporal power he was not free but remained the tributary of his clergy with interests and appetites around him which he must needs satisfy and pierre remembered the grotto of lourdes in the vatican gardens and the banner which he had just seen and he knew that the lourdes fathers levied two hundred thousand francs a year on their receipts to send them as a present to the holy father was not that the chief reason of their great power he quivered and suddenly became conscious that do what he might he would be defeated and his book would be condemned at last as he was coming out onto the piazza of st peter's he heard narcisse asking monsignor nani indeed do you really think that today's gifts exceeded that figure yes more than three millions i'm convinced of it the prelate replied for a moment the three men halted under the right-hand colonnade and gazed at the vast sunlit piazza where the pilgrims were spreading out like little black specks hurrying hither and thither an anthill as it were in revolution three millions the words had rung in pierre's ears and raising his head he gazed at the vatican all golden in the sunlight against the expanse of blue sky as if he wished to penetrate its walls and follow the steps of leo thirteen returning to his apartments he pictured him laden with those millions with his weak slender arms pressed to his breast carrying the silver the gold the banknotes and even the jewels which the women had flung him and almost unconsciously the young priest spoke aloud what will he do with those millions where is he taking them narcisse and even nanny could not help being amused by this strangely expressed curiosity it was the young attache who replied why his holiness is taking them to his room or at least is having them carried there before him 
didn't you see two persons of his suite picking up everything and filling their pockets and now his holiness has shut himself up quite alone and if you could see him you would find him counting and recounting his treasure with cheerful care ranging the rolls of gold in good order slipping the banknotes into envelopes in equal quantities and then putting everything away in hiding places which are only known to himself while his companion was speaking pierre again raised his eyes to the windows of the pope's apartments as if to follow the scene moreover narcisse gave further explanations asserting that the money was put away in a certain article of furniture standing against the right-hand wall in the holy father's bedroom some people he added also spoke of a writing-table or secretaire with deep drawers and others declared that the money slumbered in some big padlocked trunks stored away in the depths of the alcove which was very roomy of course on the left side of the passage leading to the archives there was a large room occupied by a general cashier and a monumental safe but the funds kept there were simply those of the patrimony of st peter the administrative receipts of rome whereas the peter's pence money the voluntary donations of christendom remained in the hands of leo thirteen he alone knew the exact amount of that fund and lived alone with its millions which he disposed of like an absolute master rendering account to none and such was his prudence that he never left his room when the servants cleaned it and set it in order at the utmost he would consent to remain on the threshold of the adjoining apartment in order to escape the dust and whenever he meant to absent himself for a few hours to go down into the gardens for instance he double-locked the doors and carried the keys away with him never confiding them to another at this point narcisse paused and turning to nani inquired is that not so monseigneur these are things known to all rome the prelate ever smiling and wagging his head without expressing either approval or disapproval had begun to study on pierre's face the effect of these curious stories no doubt no doubt he responded so many things are said i know nothing myself but you seem to be certain of it all monsieur Habert. oh resumed the other i don't accuse his holiness of sordid avarice such as is rumoured some fabulous stories are current stories of coffers full of gold in which the holy father is said to plunge his hands for hours at a time treasures which he has heaped up in corners for the sole pleasure of counting them over and over again nevertheless one may well admit that his holiness is somewhat fond of money for its own sake for the pleasure of handling it and setting it in order when he happens to be alone and after all that is a very excusable mania in an old man who has no other pastime but i must add that he is yet fonder of money for the social power which it brings the decisive help which it will give to the holy see in the future if the latter desires to triumph these words evoked the lofty figure of a wise and prudent pope conscious of modern requirements inclined to utilize the powers of the century in order to conquer it and for this reason venturing on business and speculation as it happened the treasure bequeathed by pius ninth had nearly been lost in a financial disaster but ever since that time leo thirteen had sought to repair the breach and make the treasure whole again in order that he might leave it to his successor intact and even enlarged economical he certainly was but he saved for the needs of the church which as he knew increased day by day and money was absolutely necessary if atheism was to be met and fought in the sphere of the schools institutions and associations of all sorts without money indeed the church would become a vassal at the mercy of the civil powers the kingdom of italy and other catholic states and so although he liberally helped every enterprise which might contribute to the triumph of the faith leo thirteen had a contempt for all expenditure without an object and treated himself and others with stern closeness personally he had no needs 
at the outset of his pontificate he had set his small private patrimony apart from the rich patrimony of st peter refusing to take aught from the latter for the purpose of assisting his relatives never had pontiff displayed less nepotism his three nephews and his two nieces had remained poor in fact in great pecuniary embarrassment still he listened neither to complaints nor accusations but remained inflexible proudly resolved to bequeath the sinews of life the invincible weapon money to the popes of future times and therefore vigorously defending the millions of the holy see against the desperate covetousness of one and all but what are the receipts and expenses of the holy see inquired pierre in all haste nani again made his amiable evasive gesture oh i am altogether ignorant in such matters he replied ask monsieur Robert, who is so well informed for my part responded the attache i simply know what is known to all the embassies here the matters which are the subject of common report with respect to the receipts there is first of all the treasure left by pious nine some twenty millions invested in various ways and formerly yielding about a million a year in interest but as i have said before a disaster happened and there must then have been a falling off in the income still nowadays it is reported that nearly all deficiencies have been made good well besides the regular income from the invested money a few hundred thousand francs are derived every year from chancellery dues patents of nobility and all sorts of little fees paid to the congregations however as the annual expenses exceed seven millions it has been necessary to find quite six millions every year and certainly it is the peter's pence fund that has supplied not the six millions perhaps but three or four of them and with these the holy see has speculated in the hope of doubling them and making both ends meet it would take me too long just now to relate the whole story of these speculations the first huge gains then the catastrophe which almost swept everything away and finally the stubborn perseverance which is gradually supplying all deficiencies however if you are anxious on the subject i will one day tell you all about it pierre had listened with deep interest six millions even four he exclaimed what does the peter's pence fund bring in then oh i can only repeat that nobody has ever known the exact figures in former times the catholic press published lists giving the amounts of different offerings and in this way one could frame an approximate estimate but the practice must have been considered unadvisable for no documents nowadays appear and it is absolutely impossible for people to form any real idea of what the pope receives he alone knows the correct amount keeps the money and disposes of it with absolute authority still i believe that in good years the offerings have amounted to between four and five millions originally france contributed one half of the sum but nowadays it certainly gives much less then come belgium and austria england and germany as for spain and italy oh italy narcisse paused and smiled at monsignor nani who was wagging his head with the air of a man delighted at learning some extremely curious things of which he had previously had no idea oh you may proceed you may proceed my dear son said he well then italy scarcely distinguishes itself if the pope had to provide for his living out of the gifts of the italian catholics there would soon be a famine at the vatican far from helping him indeed the roman nobility has cost him dear for one of the chief causes of his pecuniary losses was his folly in lending money to the princes who speculated it is really only from france and england that rich people noblemen and so forth have sent royal gifts to the imprisoned and martyred pontiff 
among others there was an english nobleman who came to rome every year with a large offering the outcome of a vow which he had made in the hope that heaven would cure his unhappy idiot son and of course i don't refer to the extraordinary harvest garnered during the sacerdotal and the episcopal jubilees the forty millions which then fell at his holiness's feet and the expenses asked pierre well as i told you they amount to about seven millions we may reckon two of them for the pensions paid to former officials of the pontifical government who are unwilling to take service under italy but i must add that this source of expense is diminishing every year as people die off and their pensions become extinguished then broadly speaking we may put down one million for the italian sees another for the secretariat and the nunciatures and another for the vatican in this last sum i include the expenses of the pontifical court the military establishment the museums and the repair of the palace and the basilica well we have reached five millions and the two others may be set down for the various subsidized enterprises the propaganda and particularly the schools which leo thirteen with great practical good sense subsidizes very handsomely for he is well aware that the battle and the triumph lie in that direction among the children who will be men to-morrow and who will then defend their mother the church provided that they have been inspired with horror for the abominable doctrines of the age a spell of silence ensued and the three men slowly paced the majestic colonnade the swarming crowd had gradually disappeared leaving the piazza empty so that only the obelisk and the twin fountains now arose from the burning desert of symmetrical paving whilst on the entablature of the porticus across the square a noble line of motionless statues stood out in the bright sunlight and pierre with his eyes still raised to the pope's windows again fancied that he could see leo thirteen amidst all the streaming gold that had been spoken of his whole white pure figure his poor waxen transparent form steeped amidst those millions which he hid and counted and expended for the glory of god alone and so murmured the young priest he has no anxiety he is not in any pecuniary embarrassment pecuniary embarrassment exclaimed monsignor nani his patience so sorely tried by the remark that he could no longer retain his diplomatic reserve oh my dear son why when cardinal mocenni the treasurer goes to his holiness every month his holiness always gives him the sum he asks for he would give it and be able to give it however large it might be his holiness has certainly had the wisdom to effect great economies the treasure of st peter is larger than ever pecuniary embarrassment indeed why if a misfortune should occur and the sovereign pontiff were to make a direct appeal to all his children the catholics of the entire world do you know that in that case a thousand millions would fall at his feet just like the gold and the jewels which you saw reigning on the steps of his throne just now then suddenly calming himself and recovering his pleasant smile nani added at least that is what i sometimes hear said for personally i know nothing absolutely nothing and it is fortunate that monsieur Abert should have been here to give you information ah monsieur Abert, monsieur Abert why i fancied that you were always in the skies absorbed in your passion for art and far removed from all base mundane interests but you really understand these things like a banker or a notary nothing escapes you nothing it is wonderful end of section thirteen